Welcome, everyone, to our January episode of Silas Speaks, Silas monthly podcast, which is your window into what is happening at Sila and the securities and insurance licensing industry. Silas Speaks is brought to you by Roads Online and Sila, and I'm Alistair Yu. And I'm Diana Ivey. And this is our first episode of 2023. Happy New Year, Alistair. Happy New Year, Diana. And you know what? Speaking of firsts, we have a few firsts today. Do tell. (laughs) First, we have two guests on our pod today. Natasha Hurt, Senior Manager, Regulatory Services of North American Securities Administrators Association, or NASA, and Margie Weber, Director, Regulatory Compliance at RegEd. Yeah, Margie was kind enough to be a guest host on the pod, and she and Natasha provide a lot of useful information about the securities industry and upcoming topics in the continuing education, as well as resources that are available to all our securities professionals. It's a great pod, chock full of information, and a great way to kick off 2023. Absolutely. But that said, what's coming up on the calendar, Alistair? Well, a little self-fulfilling, but let me, let me self-serving. <laughs> but on Tuesday, January 31st, 2023, the Silent Tri-State chapter will be holding a yes. meeting. It is a virtual meeting and everyone around the nation is welcome to attend. So make sure you put that on your calendar, Tuesday, the 31st at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Diana, what regulatory updates should our listeners be aware of? Well, I just want to really focus on one, and it really is just a reminder for people who I'm sure have heard already about California's new requirement that is actually in their statute for adding license numbers to signature blocks on emails. So there is a very detailed bulletin around what exactly has to be done and how it has to appear. There's size and font requirements and placement requirements. It's very detailed. So I encourage everybody, if they have not seen that yet, um, they need to go onto sila.org and look at that bulletin and make sure that anybody uh, that uh, works in their firms as producers and that are licensed in California, whether resident or non-resident, that they follow this guidance. It is extremely important. Um, That's really the one I wanted to highlight coming off of, I know a lot of people were probably out on vacation, so, you know, it may not have been top of mind. There you go. Well, I'm sure everyone thanks you for that. And well, Without further ado, here's our conversation with Margie and Natasha. Well, everyone, we have a great pod today. I'd like to welcome Margie Weber, Director of Regulatory Compliance at RegEd, as our guest host. Margie, thank you so much uh, for joining. Happy to be here. Right. And well, we have Tasha Hurt or Natasha Hurt likes to go by Tasha. She's the senior manager of regulatory services at the North American Securities Administrators Association or NASA. Tasha, great to have you on the pod. Thank you for taking out time at this holiday period to uh, join me and Margie. Thank you for having me. Right. So, Tasha, uh, you know, how does one get to be the regulatory, the senior manager of regulatories at NASA? I know that I guess you grew up in 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 Kentucky. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, uh, most of my life, I did spend in the state of Kentucky until uh-huh. about um, thirteen years ago. Right, and then from there, uh, I believe you moved to Florida, and you were 
had some time in working as a regulator as well. Is that correct? Yes. Um, in 2010, I joined the Florida Office of Financial Regulation mm-hmm. in um, their Division of Securities Bureau. I see. I see. And wow. And, and the shift from there, how did you get into, you know, the regulator market? Was that a big dream of yours? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I don't know that anyone grow, at growing up thinks um, I can't wait to be a regulator. But um, I was in banking, um, uh-huh. not not in regulation at all. I was in banking. And then in 2010, transition into the regulatory side in the Division of Securities. Um, I'm not exactly sure what drew me to that. I, I think I am naturally just a rule follower. And, and maybe that just <laughs> tell me the rules and I'll follow them and I'll help other people follow them. Sure. I don't know. Um, but it was a really great opportunity, like I said, with the, the Division of Securities with the Florida OFR. I, I started right. out in the Bureau of Registrations. Right. And then from there, I guess it was a kind of a natural shift to go to NASA. Yeah, um, I think I'll talk about it a little bit later about who NASA is and, and how NASA is made up. But um, for a number of years, I was with the Florida OFR and they are a member of NASA. So I was actually on several project groups or committees that I now support as a NASA staff person. I see. And for our listeners, I think this is a great question is, you know, what is NASA? I mean, it is the North American Securities Administrators Association. Um, it's it's a, a, a wonderful part of SILENT. We, we thank you for being a SILENT member. But for our listeners, I mean, what is NASA? So um, the routine joke is we don't fly to space. So it's not <laughs> that NASA. But this NASA has two A's and it's the oldest international investor protection organization. Mm -hmm. And our membership consists of 67 state, provincial and territorial securities administrators in the 50 states, the District of Columbia, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Canada and Mexico. NASA um, is made up of committees and project groups, 55 of them, actually, and there are 383 volunteers on those committees and project groups located in one of the jurisdictions that I mentioned. Wow. And that's really interesting. I mean, when we, and I I just picked up on this, when we think about North America, I mean, surely Canada and Mexico are involved, right? But I think you're the only, are you the one of the only financial regular associations that address that includes both Canada and, and Mexico? Yes, international, yeah. International, that's great. Wow, wow, okay. And I think that's really great. I mean, Margie, we were talking earlier, right? There's no S, there's no silo without securities, right? So it's really great. And you're saying that, you know, previously, Uh, securities was not part of the original kind of silo. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, A fun silo fact that some of our newer members may not be aware of is that when silo was founded in 1990, the organization was named the Society of Insurance Licensing Associates. Mm -hmm. At that time, silo did have broker dealers and investment advisors as members because those, those individual members also had responsibility for insurance carrier and or insurance agency operations, in addition to their securities operations responsibilities. So those of us that were silent members at that time that had feet in both spaces in the securities and the insurance space, we began pushing to include uh, securities content in the silent events. The, at that time we had a national conference and we had regional conferences as well. 
Um, so by 2005, SILA was renamed to the Securities and Insurance Licensing Association. We were able to keep the SILA acronym, which really, really fit well. It gave securities top billing, but <laughs> it was only because we needed to get that S in there. Um, you know, initially we invited uh, FINRA, mm -hmm. then was the NASD, uh, the National Association of Securities Dealers, to begin engaging with SILA. And for se several years ago, we developed the NASA Engagement Task Force under the SILA Security Subgroup with the goal specifically to introduce SILA to our state securities regulator friends and bring them to our party, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So that brings us, that's brought us to, to uh, NASA because NASA is the member organization for the state securities regulators that we want to involve with SILA. Absolutely. We, we also have added a, a state securities regulator advisor to the SILA board. Mm -hmm. um, that is currently, uh, that position is currently held by Deb Fabrits with Wisconsin. Right. So we are really happy to have a lot more securities regulatory involved um, in SILA events. So. Absolutely. And we're so happy that NASA is participating in these SILA efforts and, and the SILA community. We're really, really happy about that. So thank you, Tasha. But Tasha, could you also tell us a little bit more? I know that you explained and, and gave you know, a great description of who NASA is and what they do. Can you also tell us you know, who consists of their membership? I know that a lot of it is um, you know, community-based uh, from that, but can you just expand sure. a little bit about who the membership is? Right, I know yes. it's all yeah, um, as we discussed a little bit ago, it's all of the states, the District of Columbia, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Mexico, and it's their securities divisions. Um, typically, the member would be the commissioner or whomever is over the securities division in that jurisdiction, mm -hmm. but staff within that jurisdiction also participates in all of our committees that drive what we do. Right. So it's primarily regulators. Would you say that? It is all regulators. It's all regulator based. Right. Yes. And then I'm sorry. And then you spoke about committees as well, that NASA does have a number of committees and project groups. Can you kind of expand upon that and the kind of work that you're doing and what yes. the committees are focused on? Sure. So um, the main purpose of us at NASA is to help um, our members, which are the regulators that we discussed and uh, there are 55 committees and project groups very focused on different areas. Um, for example, within my purview would be the Investment Advisor Representative Continuing Education Committee. That committee came together, developed the model rule, worked together to put forth the efforts to make the program go live in January of this year. So that's just one example of the great work of NASA and its members working together on a common goal. Sure. Okay. And NASA members, they share governing oversight of broker dealers with the SEC and FINRA. Is that correct, Tasha? Yes, that's right. That's right. They also um, have oversight of investment advisors, um, broker dealer and investment advisors, associated people, as well as some securities and other areas. Right. Okay. So I'm not sure, if, uh, Marjorie, I think it's a great opportunity. You know, we, we haven't had a lot of talk about securities mm -hmm. on our pod. I, I know we're coming at the you know beginning of the year here. Are there things that you and Tasha feel are very important that we should be on the lookout for in 23? 
Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of there's there's some things that are in flux in the securities world right now. Uh, uh, FINRA has a couple of proposals out right now, a remote branch inspection proposal, as well as a residential supervisory location proposal. Um, NASA, those those proposals are, have, are, are in the comment period and NASA has submitted comment letters on it and has some concerns with both of those. Um, in addition, the FINRA CE transformation is basically complete by beginning in January. Um, that whole process will be be in place. So that's the regulatory element will be an annual requirement going forward. And um, they also rolled out their uh, maintaining qualifications program last year or earlier in 2022. And NASA has recently put a proposal out a request for public comment on um a model rule that would basically mirror the MQP on the investment advisor side. So Tasha, do you want to, can you highlight that briefly or? Yeah, I'll actually talk about both of the exam rules um, that NASA's recently put out, if that's okay. So the first was directly in response to FINRA's MQP program. So as Margie said, in March, FINRA's maintaining qualification program went live. Um, It's my understanding a number of people took advantage of that. Um, And that's those individuals that want to extend their FINRA examination validity from two years to up to five years. What I think is less commonly known is that is very specific to FINRA and may not transition to state exam validity. It really depends on how the state rules and regs are written. Um, So if an individual enters the MQP and then finds an opportunity for employment, they would leave MQP, apply, and FINRA would honor that exam extension because they maintained um, the continuing education throughout the MQP. However, it will come into a state's manual queue, and the state will review that against their rules and regs to see if they can honor that exam validity extension, or if not. So, In an effort to address that, a NASA working group came together, drafted NASA's exam validity extension program, and the goal of that first rule is to extend the state's Series 63 exam, which is the accompanying exam on the broker-dealer agent side, and also to honor FINRA's MQP. So that model rule was out. Um, Feedback was really great. And that model rule was approved by NASA membership. What just came out for public comment last week, and I encourage all listeners to review that and comment, is a very similar program for the investment advisor representative side. So this is your series 65 and your series 66, those individuals that are acting um, as investment advisor representatives. If you Um, terminate your employment for whatever reason, and you want to extend that exam validity from two years to up to five years, this model rule is what um, would allow you to do so, assuming your state adopts it. So as as, period ends in like what, January 3rd? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's just important, I think here to just touch on um, a model rule is that it's a model. So a lot of really great people, uh, NASA volunteers came together to draft both of these proposals. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the one has already been adopted as a formal model rule. Fingers crossed this next one will as well. 
Um, however, until a jurisdiction actually adopts the rule, it's not enacted in that state or territory or wherever. So it's really important to see where, where am I? Where am I registered? Did they adopt this or am I still bound by this two years? Am I in a situation where I need to retest because I've been out of the industry for three years and maybe my state hasn't adopted it? Which because it's so new, no state has adopted it yet. So a person could currently be in the situation where um, FINRA has honored the exam validity extension because of their MQP, but a state may require them to retest because they have not adopted this rule and their rules currently say an exam is only valid for two years. Right. Right. It's a little bit of a catch. You, know, you got the federal, you got the, the federal regulators, the SEC, FINRA specifically doing their thing. And once their thing is done, then the states often have to respond in kind. Otherwise, you're kind of you have a uniformity issue within the space, which is something that we all try to avoid. But, you know, it's it happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's not and- quite as bad as it is on the insurance side, but <laughs> it does happen. Um, And as everyone knows, rule adoption takes time. So it could be that the state very much wants to do this um, and thinks it's a great idea. But because of a legislature session being a certain time or what have you, they just haven't yet. Um, So I would just encourage folks that are in that situation to reach out to their state to say, hey, I'm looking to reenter the industry. What are my options right now? Right. And NASA is presenting this and posting this to the public as well, correct? In terms of resources to follow up yes. and understand? Yes, currently the exam validity extension program for the Series 63 and to align with MQP is posted as an officially adopted model rule on NASA's website if anyone wants to read it. The, I, the companion IAR model rule is actually out for public comment right now. So you would visit NASA's website and that's where you would read it and then find out how to submit any comments that you may have. You know, if if you love it, comment. If you um, have suggestions for changes, comment with those as well. Right. And March, I believe we're sending this out to or we're communicating this to our silent membership also. Yes, we actually had um, a NASA engagement task force call um, last week and this issue was was discussed. So there was there um, there was quite a bit of chatter about it. So I think we'll definitely be submitting a comment, not not Sila. Sila doesn't lobby for those of you who may not know that. Sila itself does not lobby for any change. We don't reply to comment letters, things like that, or requests for comment, but our members do. So we as members come together and kind of engage and and try to have a, you know, one voice if we can, you know, we want to be consistent um, in uh, what we're asking regulators to consider. Yeah. And this is another example, Alistair, when you um, ask what, what does NASA, NASA do, what does their members work on? This this is an effort that was undertaken by several different state regulators that came together on a working group, saw a need, studied the needs, said, how can we respond, um, and then put these proposals out. Excellent, excellent. In addition to the five-year versus two-year, I believe there's also some talk about remote branch inspections, or did I make that up? No, no. Um, (laughs) 
FINRA has proposed a remote branch inspection pilot program. They they proposed that last summer, and um, the SEC is still making still considering that. Um, it went out for a second comment period. NASA or the SEC received several several a lot of comments on it. A lot of comments, one of which was was from NASA and. Uh, FINRA reviewed the, those comments, came back with a letter to the SEC advising that um, we've evaluated the, com the, the comments, we still want to move forward with the proposal that we had implemented, and then that went out for a second comment period, and we have another comment letter that came in from NASA, and I, I believe NASA makes some really great points um, in, in their comment letters. Um, I also still believe that there's really a business need to allow for remote branch inspections to a certain extent. Um, but Tasha, do you guys, are you guys considering a branch model at all, branch inspection model? Not that I'm aware of. Um, as far as I know, there, there isn't a model rule being worked on for branch inspections. I will say that NASA does have a really great um, platform, we refer it to NEMO, and it's examination model, standardized examination modules that many of our members utilize to conduct their exams. Um, so that's a really great effort. But in response to that proposal, I would say no, not that I'm aware of. As you um, alluded to, NASA did issue a comment letter in response to both of those. So I would defer to that comment letter on, on this issue. Right. And it, it is an interesting read. So I would encourage people to um, find that on the uh, NASA website uh, or you can find it on the SEC website as well. Or I can send it to you. Um, just just give us a, a holler if you need to see it. Very and, you know, there's a lot of valuable information on NASA's website. Um, there's informed investor advisories. Several have been uh, published in the recent year. Um there's Tasha, what do you would what would you like to highlight about the website that you guys have? So as you say, there's a lot of great resources on there. It's continuously being updated. I suggest anyone visit it. That is www.nasa.nasaa.org. Um, I think what gets clicked on likely the most is the little yellow button in the top right-hand side, yellowish orange, is contact your regulator. I often get calls on, I'm not sure who to reach out in the state of X. I'm not sure who to file this complaint with in the state of Y. And I always point them to that contact your regulator. It brings up a really nice map. You'll click on whatever jurisdiction you're interested in, and it will give you their contact information. So that is a really helpful tool. Um, as you mentioned, there's uh, investor advisories on there. There's really exceptional investor education content on there that the um, NASA's investor education section works on. They do a fabulous job. So that's under um, the NASA website. There's also lots of policy items like we've been discussing. There's things such as model rules that are out for comment, even those that we haven't touched on here in different areas that, that don't fall under my umbrella, as well as our responses to other agency proposals. So once we issue a comment on something, if you're interested in NASA's position, you can find that letter on NASA's website as well. That's great. And that website is www.nasaa.org. A lot of yes. great resources there. Sure. Um, one, one area, IARCE, is a really hot topic um, for this year and probably for next year as well. We'll have um, 
at least 10 states will be live with IRCE beginning in January. Um, so NASA's got a really great resource for any information on the IRCE um, topic. Um, Tasha, is there any help in adjusting that 100% unlimited attempts <laughs> part of that uh, IRCE model? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, uh, first, just to briefly talk about IRCE, um, if you're unfamiliar with it, IRCE is the Investment Advisor Representative Continuing Education Program. So starting this year, three states, Maryland, Vermont, and Mississippi required continuing education for IARs registered with their jurisdictions. That's not necessarily just if you're located there, but if you're also registered there. As Margie suggested, that does go up to 10 states starting January 1st of next year. Um, I do think, again, Tasha's opinion only, that we'll see that rolling adoption. And then maybe in 2024, there'll be even more states. The IRCE resources page is where we post everything we possibly can about IRCE. That includes FAQs, who's adopting, who's approved providers, Again, anything we can find on the topic. There's a few ways you can get there. That's nasa.org slash IARCE. Um, also on NASA's landing page, there's an IARCE button you can click midway down the page or nasa.org, and then you'll see industry resources and you'll find IARCE. So we're making it available everywhere because it is a very much a hot item right now. So what Margie is talking about is um, the program currently requires when you take the continuing education that um, you pass the course within, with a 100% assessment score within a unlimited attempt. So it doesn't suggest that you have to get 100% right away. Um, the committee's goal, again, because NASA, it's, an, it's a committee that designed the program, the committee's goal is to make sure that the IAR leads the continuing education course, understanding all of the content. And so that's how it landed on 100% assessment score within unlimited attempts. Re throughout the year, we've heard um, lots of feedback on that. And most recently, the committee held stakeholder meetings, heard from lots of interested parties and groups, um, invited all sorts of different um, stakeholders, whether it be IIRs, um, other regulators, the professional designations, providers, just wanting everyone's feedback on how did 2022 go? What did we do well and what can we improve on? And I think a common point that was brought up is this 100% assessment requirement. And I, I don't think um, the committee's intentions came through, like they weren't expecting perfection. They wanted the IR to leave the course with confidence and knowing they hit all the high points that they were supposed to know. However, they heard loud and clear that um, this posed some challenges, whether it be from a consistency standpoint with someone that's taking a course, hoping for it to count in multiple areas or with programming, because one person um, is taking it for this and another person is taking it to satisfy these two things. And I, I do think it's fair to say that they took that feedback to heart. They are discussing it. Um, and that, along with a couple of other things, will be addressed in the um, next version of the program handbook. 
So they and they update that annually. And so that'll come out in January. So if the change can be made, um, they'll update that in the January version of the handbook. Well, I just like to say that as you know, a consumer, let's say, of, of investment advisement, right? Mm-hmm. I would like my advisor to score 100. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but in, in respect to CE, I mean, and the, and the different, is it state by state or does well, one state cover? Is it reciprocity? How does that work? Sure. So this is, um, this is kind of one of the things that NASA does and an effort for consistency. This is a single program. Uh, the committee came together um, to develop a program that even if an IAR is registered in 20 jurisdictions, all 20 adopt it. They do one 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So that is a little bit different than other areas, I understand. Um, but that's why everything is housed on NASA's website and not the individual state's website. Mm-hmm. It's because it is a sing- singular program where an individual registered with multiple jurisdictions only has to satisfy at once. And it's reported to all jurisdictions. I see. I see. That's great. Okay. And so far, all the states that have proposed, they're, they're not deviating from the model language, which allows FINRA to be the, your vendor. Correct. Yeah. Um, currently, everyone that has adopted, adopted in line with the model. Um, of course, states have the liberty to adopt anything they choose. The um, pro to adopting it to the model is that's how all of the technology and how everything is programmed and and operates is in line with the model. So once a state adopts it, assuming it's in line with the model, it's pretty seamless, especially if an individual is already doing it for another jurisdiction. It's not adding on more. If they're doing it for one jurisdiction, it's going to satisfy it for all jurisdictions. That's great. And it's 12 hours annually. Yes, um, it's 12 hours annually, six, six of those credits in ethics and professional responsibility, and six of those credits in products and practice. Um, if an individual is a duly licensed individual, meaning if they're licensed as an investment advisor representative and an agent of the broker dealer, they can submit their FINRA regulatory element to satisfy the six credits of products and practice. Um, I do also know we're over 85 credits of continuing education that's duly approved for IRCE and the CFP. So if an individual is an IR and also holds the CFP credential, chances are very good that if you look, if you proactively look for content to satisfy both, um, you're going to find your 12 hours of IRCE that will also go towards your CFP designation. Yes which is lovely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there may be some movement I heard um, about working towards providing free IARC courses. Is that true? Well, there is currently a course out there that um, a, a committee put together. It's entitled Ethics for Investment Advisor Representatives. It's um, on the NASA website. When you look for approved providers, you'll see NASA as one of them. If you click that, it takes you to that course. So there's not enough out there to satisfy all 12 credits, mm-hmm. um, but that one credit that is available, the only cost is the $3 roster reporting fee. You don't actually pay for the course itself. 
and and th that is available on demand. Um, if I'm if I may use one thirty second pitch, please do it uh, really quickly. It's already uh, mid December uh, when this <laughs> is being recorded. So um, as a reminder, if you have it due this year, it is due by December 31st. You also want to give those providers time to report it for you um, and it be um, applied to your record. So please don't wait to the last minute. Otherwise, it may not get reported into the new year and, and no one will be at fault because um, providers do need to be allowed time to gather their rosters, format them and submit them. Sure. Sure, and that's a great note. Have some eggnog, sing some carols, and take a free take knock free it out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else that we'd like to plug? Well, and and one one other thing on IRCE is that you are not able to carry over credits, so that's important. You don't want to take fifteen credits because those two aren't going to carry over to the or those three aren't going to carry over to the next year. Also, you can't repeat a course um, up to five years. Correct. Yes. So. Um, like Margie said, you're welcome to take as many credits as you want, but it will not carry forward. So you do want to make sure um, you satisfy what you need for that year. And if you want to take extra, great, but do not expect to get credit for it next year. And the importance of that is you could not retake that course that didn't count this year, next year and get credit because that will have been a second time at that course. Right. So courses cannot be repeated. So you can't take 12 credits this year, take those exact same 12 credits next year. It will not count. Right. And Margie, I think you said the shelf life is five years. You can't repeat a course every five years. So is that right? Right. For Because for, I believe every course has to be um, resubmitted for approval every five years. Is that correct? correct? Every course will undergo a complete review again every five years. At that point, it will be a new course and an, a candidate could take that course again. Um, many courses have very similar names, like there could be three to five out there titled Ethics for Investment Advisors. So just pay attention to the course ID because no two of those will be the same. And that's what you can't repeat is the exact course ID. And this may be a, you know, a newbie question. Where can I find a history of the courses I've taken? So individuals have the opportunity to sign up for a FinPro account. That's FINRA's Financial Professional Gateway. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a free account. You just go in, you sign up, you use your email address. And in there, you can verify what credits have been submitted on your behalf. You would also want to do that to make sure courses you took did get submitted. Right. Um, but then as this program grows, it will allow you to look at your history to say, oh, no, this isn't the course I took. I took X. Um, that way you can ensure you're not repeating courses. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a lot of great information. And your provider will roster the credits you take with each provider to FINRA and get those updated for you. But you still are responsible as the financial professional for your own continuing education, you need to stay on top of it, make sure all of your credits that you expect to be rostered have been rostered. And um, again, back to what Tasha was saying about the regulatory element being, uh, you can utilize that to satisfy the products and practices component. You would use your FinPro account to roster that um, and pay for the rostering fee there. You'd still have to pay the, the, the fees, but. You don't have to take those six hours if you have, have satisfied the regulatory element CE. 
Sure. Yeah. And um, just to heart back to the IRC resources page. If you visit that, you'll see the list of approved providers. It's updated every single time a new provider is added. It also hyperlinks the provider so you could just click on their name and it takes you to their website. You're welcome to use any provider that you choose. Um, there is some confusion out there. Folks are logging into their FinPro account and expecting to see like assigned content. That's not how IRCE works. You're welcome to choose any of those providers, choose any of those courses, so long as it's approved IRCE content and it satisfies the component or components that you need. And then, like Margie said, the provider submits the course completion to your regulator, um, but the IR's responsibility is one, to do it, and to two, to log into their FinPro account to make sure every course they completed was submitted and they are satisfied for the year. Right. And I think that holds true everywhere. I mean, at the end of the day, the individual is responsible. Make sure you go in there, make sure you're checking, make sure the data is correct. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a lot of information. I think there's a lot to look forward to. <laughs> 23. I think we'd like to thank you both. Uh, before we let you go, though, we always have a question, you know, for our, you know, guests, and of course, for our guest host, Margie, as well. I'll let you decide who should go first. But the question that we like to ask people is, you know, as you look back at your professional career and the professional road that you've been down, what piece, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? So Tasha, what would you tell younger Tasha about the road ahead? And, and Margie, same for you. Can I say Margie go first? Younger Tasha, let Margie go first. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You know, the, the thing that strikes me um, would be become a master networker. You can leverage your network to help yourself advance so significantly. And it's very nice to know what somebody else is doing in response to this particular regulatory event. So I think communicating with your network, establishing a strong network, which SILA is um, a, great, a great way to, to network. Use your LinkedIn. So your LinkedIn, use your social media if your firms allow it. Um, LinkedIn specifically. I'm not sure about Twitter and Facebook, but <laughs> I'm a fan of LinkedIn for sure for networking. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can agree more that, you know, and, and that's the power of organizations like NASA, power of organizations like Silent, just being able to talk to people and meet people that, you know, have similar goals and similar issues or similar desires or, or work. That, that you would have. So it's just the ability to network and find this community. And an, and another one other thing I think for, especially for our side of the members is don't be afraid of a regulator because they are in your, they're, they're on your side. They want you to be compliant just like you want to be compliant. And, um, you know, early on in the SILA years, people were very nervous about approaching a regulator with a question. And um, I just feel like you, that that you can relax about that. I don't think that they're out to get you. Absolutely. should not be adversarial. I mean, the more you're compliant, the easier their job is. And their job is to just help you be more compliant, right? So absolutely, yes. you're on the same side of the, of the, of the fence. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, Margie inspired me. So um, first would be community. Definitely. Um, you know, that is one of the things that drew me to NASA. I think it continues to draw people to NASA. Um, it's just filled with really incredible people 
really smart, really great people, both from the membership and from the corporate office. I, I feel really lucky to be where I am. Um, I, I would tell my younger self to be flexible because what you think will probably happen will not happen. <laughs> so just be flexible. I am, I'm constantly learning. Um, every day, I think I learn something new. And um, as we all know, things are constantly changing. So um, I, I would say worry less and just be really, everything will work out. And then just be really flexible because life is constantly throwing curveballs, And it's really just how you react to those um, that leads you to where you're going. Yeah, good one. There you go. Absolutely. Well, two great resources, you know, individuals. Tasha, thank you so much for your time. Margie as well. You know, a lot of information about securities, a lot of information about NASA and its role and how it's complementary to SILA and the membership here. We're so happy that, you know, the representation at SILA in the security side, that's really, really great. So we appreciate that. We have a lot to look forward to in 23. Uh, before we go, anything else we'd like to plug? Visit the NASA website. There you go. <laughs> N-A-S-A-A.org. www.nasaa.org. And don't forget the little yellow button at the top. Contact your regulator. Okay. (laughs) And all the other free content that's available, like the ethics course, right? Get it done before the end of the year. And happy new year, Sila. That's right. Happy new year to everybody. Tasha, Margie, thank you all again for spending time with us this afternoon. Um, Best in the new year. And we'll see each other soon. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, Diana, another great pod. A lot of Agreed. information from Margie, a lot of information from Tasha. It was so great to have uh, Tasha on and Margie on, and we'd like to thank them both. But um, that said, for all our listeners, if you have any questions for us, please reach out. Our email is silaspeaks at sila.org, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at silaspeaks. Well, thank you all for listening. And until then, we will see you at the next podcast. There you go. Great podcast. The materials in this podcast are intended to provide a general overview of the issues contained herein and are not intended, nor should they be construed, to provide specific legal or regulatory guidance or advice. If you have any questions or issues of a specific nature, you should consult with appropriate legal or regulatory counsel to review the specific circumstances involved. The information or opinions communicated in this podcast are not necessarily opinions of SILA and the SILA Foundation.